The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... Well, you could be away, for, away from your bag and away from all your equipment and away from your blood meter and away from your injections for 40 minutes to an hour. So you're, you're kind of going on how your body feels. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Insulone Podcast with myself, Owen Costello. I hope you all have had a fantastic week. I know I say that at the start of pretty much every episode, but I do genuinely hope that you're having a good week. I hope those blood sugars are staying nice and stable and they are behaving as we would always like them to. So this week I had a guest on and... Surprise, surprise, another type 1 diabetic. We always like to hear it. But the guest that I have is another Irish diabetic. She is somebody who I've connected with online a good bit and we've had a few conversations, but I was looking forward to having a more in-depth conversation about what she's been up to, her diagnosis, how she got over the whole thing, all the good stuff that we like to talk about on this podcast. Her name is Catherine Brady. She is, as I said, a type 1 diabetic. She is a kickboxer, personal trainer, and online fitness coach. Now, Catherine was somebody that I was dying to get onto the podcast, and I was really looking forward to having a chat with her because she has an unbelievably decorated sporting career. She has won five kickboxing world titles. She has been on the Irish kickboxing team since the age of 14. She won her first world title at the age of 18 and then was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 19. So much like myself, later on in her teenage years was obviously a massive, massive shock to her. Despite that, after her diagnosis, after she got used to everything, she went on to win another four world titles. Now, that is just phenomenal to me and to anybody listening, that's just an unbelievable achievement and she'll go more in depth about that in the podcast itself the reason that i've named this podcast redefining diabetes is 
to redefine it to the general public, to change their opinions and the misconceptions that surround diabetes. But as I will say again in this episode, more importantly, this podcast is to redefine what diabetes is in a diabetic's head. So if you're listening to this and you have diabetes yourself and you think that this is a condition that's going to hold you back, this is a condition that is going to prevent you from doing the things that you want or the things that you want to achieve, you're really going to enjoy this podcast because Catherine was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, as I said, at the age of 19, at the height of her sporting career, her kickboxing career. And she then went on to win a further four world titles. She is massively motivated. She is motivating to listen to. She is inspiring to listen to. And you're really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here is me and Catherine Brady's lovely diabetic conversation. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it shortly too, but it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those conditions that people don't truly understand the detail that it takes every day when you don't live. No. Unless and you be honest. have a husband or a wife or a, a child or you have it yourself, you don't understand. You don't. No, genuinely. And um, as much as your family and my husband would all, they live with the condition, obviously, because I have it, but nobody really knows it unless they have it themselves. Mm. Like counting carbs and pre bolusing and where am I at and what am I doing now this evening and where will I, when will I pull back a little bit, will I need a bit extra, how active am I going to be? People wouldn't even understand this even chat here. It's the constant detail and it's almost like when you live with it, there's another consciousness that you live with. It's mm. the, the constant awareness of thinking, where are my bloods at right now? What, how yeah. are they going to be impacted in the next two, three hours? How are they going to change yeah. this food? How is stress going to impact? Mm-hmm. It's just nonstop. It's constant. It is constant. Yeah. And I didn't, I suppose I have, uh, I know we talk about this as we go, but I have type one since I was 19. So I'm 30, I'm just gone 38. So 19, just 19 years, actually, it wasn't until December of my 19th birthday. But the exact same talking, as me. I was 20. No, I was 20. I tell a lie. Oh, I was okay. 19 in November. Mm. And I was 20 then in sorry, I was 19. Actually, uh, we were only talking about this a couple of weeks ago, myself and my husband. We're going together since we were in school. Mm. And we were, uh, we went to Paris after when we were going out two years. And so we were still, we were both still 19 at the time. And I was, it was just before I was diagnosed. I was asleep the whole time. (laughs) We were in Paris, going out to Disney World. The whole lot, and all I wanted to do was get back to the hotel and lie down and go to sleep. And Paul was like, what is wrong with you? You're so tired. And sure, I didn't know what was wrong with me either. Like, I don't know what's wrong. I'm just so tired. I must be really run down. And that was just as we were two years going out. And all I wanted to do was sleep, 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 sleep. Wrecked the whole time. And then I was diagnosed. It was my 20th birthday at the end, in the middle of November, and I was diagnosed on like blood test taken, say Monday, and on that Friday, it was the 20th of December. I was, my bloods came back, and I was contacted on the Thursday, on Friday morning, I went to the hospital and I was admitted and let out then on the 23rd, just before Christmas. So, had you any idea 
while you were in Paris with your boyfriend, why you were falling asleep so often or why no, you were so I just hard. thought, well, I knew there was something wrong and that wasn't just, I was run down. And I had that thirst. But like we were that oblivious to it. We were, were drinking vodka red bulls. Now, there wouldn't be massive amount of alcohol done, but that was, that's 19 years ago. Vodka red bull was the new drink on the scene and you were drinking vodka red bulls. And sure, what was I doing to myself? I didn't know. You didn't, you literally didn't know what you were doing. And all I was doing was making myself sleepier and sleepier and sleepier. <laughs> and then we got home and I'd say it was about, so it was only about four or five weeks later. My mom said, this is not normal. We're going to have to get you a blood test. And that's what happened. There we go. Type one. Sure, I didn't even know what it was. Yeah, no more than anyone. It's almost just echoing my story back to myself because I was 19 when I, when I was diagnosed. It was around Christmas time. So similar mm-hmm. enough to you, I was going mm-hmm. out loads. I was doing a bit of drinking as we do in Ireland around yeah, Christmas time. Of course. And yeah. I was justifying my tiredness or my, and my thirst to basically going out, having a few drinks, yeah. being out too late, yeah. routine changed. And just like mm-hmm. you, I didn't know anything about type 1 diabetes, so it yeah. didn't even cross my mind. And it was my parents who kind of urgently told me to go down to the GP mm. to get a blood test without worrying. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, yeah, yeah, I'll get it, I'll get it, just to reassure them that, look, I'm fine. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's funny that you say that you're, they didn't want to alarm you. My mom had said at the time she'd heard so much on the radio or the TV or whatever it was, read it in the paper about there must have been some sort of campaign going on about type 1. And she'd read so much about it and I had all the symptoms. They're getting up during the night to go to the toilet. The ridiculous thirst, mm. the extreme tiredness. And she said for her, I came home one, one Friday evening and kickboxing training used to be on a Monday and a Friday evening. And it was religious. I would not miss this. And at 19, I was in the height of competing. So there was no way I was missing this. And I came home one Friday and I went out to the kitchen and I filled up a big kind of water jug. And I filled it up and I brought it into the sitting room and I put it at the end of the couch and I lay down on the couch. It was a Friday and my mom said, are you not going, are you not going kickboxing tonight? And I said, I'm absolutely exhausted. I think I'm just going to miss, I think I'll just have to miss it tonight. She said for her, that was a massive thing. Mm. And at the same time, she was hearing all about type one. She said, Catherine, maybe you should go to the doctor on Monday and get a, get a blood test on. I think you're probably run down. And off I went. And that Thursday, the results come back. On a Friday, I was admitted. So it was just Mental. a pure coincidence that your mother had been reading so much about it. And then yeah. you started seeing the symptoms. Yeah. But I didn't even know these were symptoms. I just was going on. Just mm-hmm. going on about my daily life. And my mom had noticed that she was connecting all these symptoms up. And she said to herself, oh my God, I don't want to scare her by saying this. Because she didn't really know what it was either. Yeah. She said, you need to go to the doctor. I'm going to make an appointment for Monday for you. Your dad will take you wherever. And I remember going to get blood tests and I was so exhausted. And I couldn't understand why. The only reason, the only thing I was with at the time would have put it back to was I was actually fighting two different world body, world championships that year within six weeks of each other. And had traveled, when I think about it, I traveled to Italy. You know, both competitions were in Italy. And I fought in August and then the end of September. And at the one in August, I won a silver medal. And then at the one at the end of September, I got beaten. And now thinking back, 
because I knew you were going to ask about my diagnosis story. Thinking back, the girl I shared a room with then was like, why are you so tired all the time? All I wanted to do was sleep. And this was the end of September. I was just like, I don't know. I'm just like really hard. And then I was, I was thinking at the time, it was because I'd done, so I'd done two kind of fighting camps whereby one had backed onto the other and I just was so tired from training all summer for one world and then it fed into the next world and I couldn't get over how tired I was then. And then I just came back to, to normal and went back to college and then it hit me again kind of thing. It was like I got a second wind of normal life. I don't know how. And then went back into college and then I was exhausted again. Mm. And then it was a blood test and that obviously told the tale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. So mm. because this was, it seems to have been almost like an ongoing process as if it was as you say, around your competitions in September and then yeah. leading into December. Do you feel mm. that when you got your diagnosis officially, was, it, was there any sort of sense of relief that this is why you have been tired or was it still just a massive shock? I was still a massive shock. I didn't, I didn't really know what, I didn't know what it was. So I suppose I didn't really know why I was so tired. And then as I said, well, I probably was a little, I wasn't accepting of it straight away at all. I was more so, what is this? And can I still, can I still drink alcohol? Can I still uh, kickbox? And, can, and then I'm, I said to my mom on the way out of the consultant's room, I'm going to have to do this on my wedding day. At 19, I said that. One of the first things that comes to your head. I, yeah. Like she's, my mom was saying recently that I said, can I still drink vodka and Red Bulls? The consultant, he said, no, nobody should drink vodka and Red Bulls. <laughs> I said, okay, okay. And then my next question was, can I still do kickboxing? And he said, absolutely. Like I'm all for, he, he, was, he loved that I, I was so active and I was so involved and fighting national, on the national team. And this, this was his thing. He loved this and he pushed me at this every time I go in. He came actually to see me fighting a world championship years and years later when we were fighting in Dublin. But he loved that. But my kind of kicker was, my mom going to have to do this. I'm going to have to inject myself on my wedding day. And she said, yeah. Just like, yeah, you will. <laughs> and, and did you think that would affect the day overall? Did you think that that would kind of change the idea of your wedding day, what you might have had in your head for... I think I was thinking this is... Yeah, well... I'm not, I was never one of those girls that thought about my wedding day. We girls think about that, but I never really did. I suppose for me, getting married was such a big day and this was going to be such an... Because I didn't know yet really what, what the day-to-day handling of it was going to be. But this is going to be such an inconvenience that I was going to have to take an injection of insulin on my wedding day to have, have dinner. <laughs> when now it's so insignificant and it didn't even... I had to say, oh, oh yeah... I'm going to, I, I'll be back in a second so I could go and like test. And I, I would, I didn't wear half a CGM at that point. So mm. I would have tested, injected then based on my day or whatever. But yeah, it was it, at that time, I, it was a huge thing, but it then didn't mean anything because obviously it was years and years later and I was just so used to it. Mm. But I suppose at 19, for a girl to think that it was probably like, Oh my God, am I going to do that then? But of course it was. But it was just, it was just normal then. Mm. Well, I think as well, when, when you're diagnosed, it's this kind of 
overwhelming feeling of mm. what does my life now entail? Because we're told, and because we were about 19, I, I feel we can kind of, we're similar. I'm sure we're quite similar in how we felt because it was a massive shock. Yeah. We were both into sport. Obviously, you were massively into your kickbox and I was big into football. And the first yeah. things that I thought of were, can I drink alcohol? Can I play football? How yeah, because I suppose you're at that age. Mm. Mm. And I suppose at 19, you're just allowed to be drinking alcohol. So you're socializing a lot more than you ever would have been. You're probably in first year in college or you're finishing off exams or whatever. Mm. You're, so, you're only getting into that at 19. Well, I, uh, because I was so dedicated and meticulous about training and competing, I wasn't someone that was drinking before I was officially allowed to drink. Like I wasn't sneaking into nightclubs kind of thing at 15 and 16. I just had no interest in that. So at 19, I was now allowed to be doing these things and it was massive. So for me to ask the question, I knew it just shows the kind, kind of where your head is at at 19. Can I drink alcohol? Can I continue to play sports? And like, they were so important that both of the answers were yes. I'd say if one of those answers had to be no, my life would end it. <laughs> yeah, sure, I know. At 19. <laughs> I know. Thoughts, yeah. Game over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. But uh, so insignificant now. But yeah. at the time, they, they were, it was a huge thing. So because, obviously, again, we both fully understand and appreciate how big of a lifestyle adjustment and lifestyle change it is being diagnosed mm. with diabetes. We now have to monitor our blood sugar. We have to manually inject insulin. We have to watch the food mm-hmm. we eat, do certain types of exercise. How did you go from, obviously, somebody who was completely excelling in kickboxing being diagnosed to then adjusting to your diagnosis and then continuing to excel was there was there a period of time when you were diagnosed where your kickboxing kind of took a back seat or your health took a back seat because you were trying to get used to everything mm, probably if if i'm honest with myself it was probably something that my health took a backseat that I wouldn't have let anything come in the way of competing so at the time I would have thought well I'm not letting this beat me and it's not it's certainly not going to affect how I perform um, so I just it just had to kind of fall in with it now whether it fell in in the right way or not I don't know I, I can't answer that but I know that I was winning just before I won my first world the year before I was diagnosed. So that was in August. The following August, then I got a silver medal at the world. So I kind of dropped a little in my eyes. And then I didn't win for a few years. So I didn't win for about five or six years. And it probably was an adjustment of everything and having to handle different levels of insulin as you're going into competition prep. Um, whether I was dropping weight to fight or whether I was competing on a day or just handling different levels of training. It was just test and inject and hope for the best because there was no CGMs then. Mm. You're kind of hoping for the best, hoping you're eating. Like there wasn't a massive amount of education in regards to how type one is in relation to sport. They loved that you were so active but not really with regards to 
cutting weight. There was no education around that. So you were kind of hoping for the best. Your insulin ratios would drop an awful lot. But um, yeah, you were too, I was probably trying, I was probably winging it for years and just got on with it. And training obviously kept me in line with regards to being disciplined and eating and testing and injecting. But you were just hoping for the best, I suppose. And it wasn't that I was, um, I think competition just probably kept me focused on making sure everything just fell in line. Testing to make sure I was okay to go training. Testing the morning and before, I suppose I used to fight in the morning, so you'd be testing before you'd, you'd, you'd get a right, start with prepping your, your warm-ups and then you'd test before you got on. But like you could be away then, suppose the beauty of the CGM is you can continuously see where you are even before you get on the mats but we would be away from that kind of thing up to an hour before you were going to fight so you'd, you'd test where you were before you went to fight and you could be gone for an hour and looking back now there was probably times when I would have been high or low going into a fight and didn't have a tester there a blood tester there to know that obviously you just feel that but you couldn't confirm that you just have your look as they with you and mm. be going. Um, you just be kind of guessing game. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was, uh, something I wanted to kind of pick your brain about before this chat mm. was the diabetes tech that you were using throughout your fights. Because from mm. my own experience, obviously to a lesser extent of the level that you were at with kickboxing, when I was playing football, mm. I always wanted to achieve. I always wanted to do the best I could. And when I was dealing with, with diabetes initially, I didn't have a CGM and for anyone who doesn't know what a CGM is, it's a continuous glucose monitor. So it's something that constantly monitors your blood sugar. You know, you can see if it's going high or going low, but when I was initially diagnosed and getting back into football, I was much like you. I was pricking my finger before I was running to the sideline three or four times a game to see if my bloods were going up or going down. And it was a nightmare because yeah, you were never fully aware of where your bloods were going, and because no. it can be more difficult to, I suppose, be aware of where your bloods are when you're running around, you're sweating, you know, your heart rate is up, and these can all be signs, signs and symptoms of high or mm. low blood sugar. So that kind of adds mm-hmm. even more stress. It will always be in the back of your head, but like. When you're down on the, when we would be going down to fight, you wouldn't have your bag with you. You'd literally be going down as is, gloves on, helmet on, ready to get on the mats. You'd do your fight, you'd win or you lose. If you win, you stay in. If you lost, you're gone. Then you, then I'd test, see where I was, if, if it was a fight where I lost. More so than not, I, I was in fights continuously through the rounds. So you'd fight your rounds, you'd fight your quarterfinals, you'd fight your semifinals, you'd fight your finals. They'd all be run kind of one after the other, unless you're fighting at a world championship and then your your finals fight would be held until another day. So that would be a different kind of setup then. But you could be away, for, away from your bag and away from all your equipment and away from your, your, your blood meter and away from your injections for, I don't know, anywhere from 40 minutes to an hour. So you're, you're kind of going on how your body feels. And then there's adrenaline and then there's cortisol and then there's excitement and there's nerves and there's everything thrown in there. So unless I felt that it was a low where my 
because there's so much, I suppose, in your fight, your heart's beating anyway. So mm. is that is your heart beating because you're fighting or is your heart beating because you're going low and then you're sweating because you're obviously competing or you're training? Yeah. And exactly what you said, like, um, you just had to kind of get. Did you ever have any incidents in a fight or training when you were sparring with, with anybody or just intense training where you couldn't necessarily feel where your bloods were and they plummeted and did you ever have any sort of incident like that? Yeah, I, 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 I did. And I suppose I didn't know that, like, I didn't know that I was dropping. Um, and then not to the extent where I didn't catch it though. And um, so I didn't ever, I, I would have kind of had to say, I'm going to have to leave the floor uh, it, more so in the club situation than a, a competition, and um, when you when you be training or sparring, and you just go off to the bat. At the time, you would have been going to the bathroom to check because you're kind of quite secretive. Not secretive. Everybody knew, but you didn't really want to be testing it in front of everybody. And mm. it wasn't. It was not taboo, but just some, not something you did. No, I would test anywhere, or I would inject anywhere. I no problem with it. But I suppose. When you're a teenager, you don't want to be standing out for anything different. Only, I suppose, in kickboxing terms, you only want to stand out if you're winning. You didn't want to stand out because you had diabetes and you had needed mm. an injection or you needed to test your blood or you needed glucose. And I think, and that's why I always kind of speak to it, speak about it a good bit on the podcast about how important it is for people to build a good relationship with their diabetes and understand mm. that, look, Essentially, this is something that we're living with for the rest of our lives. So mm-hmm. if you can create a way or form a way to build confidence around us, then that's mm-hmm. always going to stand to you. It might have been a taboo more so back then compared to how it is now. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even socially, but even just in your own head. Did you ever doubt, and I, I know you obviously have you've, um, an amazingly decorated career, but did you mm-hmm. ever doubt your own ability because of your diabetes? Were, was there ever days where you thought like, oh, this is, this is too much? Yeah, I suppose when that's, this, this is probably with regards to um, competing and winning. Like when you win a world championship, you only ever want to win another world championship. You don't want to, nobody sets out to get silver or bronze or not get a medal or not get awarded in any competition. So I suppose if I got beaten, you'd be analyzing why that happened. And all of it for me would have came in, did I get beaten because I'm type one and I'm at, I'm at a disadvantage to somebody else because I have this. But then I would never let that be the reason. I would assume that the person worked harder than I did in order to achieve the win. So, but yeah, it would be, it would have been a factor that kind of would have been on the checklist. Okay, well, why did I not win? Tick, tick, tick. But I wouldn't have blamed, I wouldn't have blamed it. Now, in saying that, would other people have thought that I didn't win because as in my family or my friends or my coaches, did they think that the reason I would have lost was because of type one or the fact that I, when I first won a world championship, I didn't have it. And then I did have it then uh, subsequently after that. Um, my parents wouldn't have maybe maybe my coaches they, it was never brought up with me no so I don't think so but maybe 
was there <laughs> was there an element of you wanting to prove to people that I was diagnosed with this condition at 19. This is life changing. But despite that, I'm going to come back and I'm going to win multiple yeah. world championships. Would, did that give you yeah. more of a drive? Yeah, it probably did because I wouldn't want anyone to think that I was disadvantaged. And then if they did think that, then I was definitely going to prove them wrong. But then I'm like that in life anyway. Like I'd, I'd love the challenge and I love the... I love if someone thinks you can't do something that would just make me work harder to prove them wrong. That's it's a it's a good way to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. It's, a, it's a good way to be. Now, when you were talking about how obviously as I can kind of relate to when you're guessing about your blood sugars because you don't have a CGM on. Mm. From what I remember when I was playing football prior to a CGM was I always knew that my bloods were inclined to come down with extended periods of cardio. So if I was training or playing a match, I knew inevitably my bloods are going to drop down at some stage. Mm. So I suppose the first, the first kind of few months getting back into football with it, I was super cautious about going low. So I would always treat a hypo before it even happened, before training, mm. before a match. And then... Obviously, as a result of that, that's going to lead to massive highs. Yeah, yeah. How did, how um, did yeah. you prepare for a, a big fight? Probably something similar. I'd be afraid that I was going to drop. And I would, you'd, you feel the symptoms of a low more so than you feel them of a high. So I would never ever wanted to feel that in a fight. So mm. something similar, I would have let myself probably go a little high so that I wouldn't have dropped and it wasn't that it probably was at the time I didn't think it was because I was afraid of going low but looking back on it now it was because I didn't want to go low and then be affected in the fight so I would have let myself go a little high and then worried about it later like we were chatting about briefly before I started recording we were talking about how diabetes is that constant in your in your head Mm -hmm. in your life and when you're diagnosed, it's almost like you open another consciousness in your mind where mm. it's, it's something that never, it never turns into a subconscious because you're always thinking about it. You're always thinking, where are my blood sugars? I need to do this. I need to do that. How will this impact me? Was there ever mm-hmm. a split second or a moment in a big fight where diabetes kind of was the forefront of your head and you, you weren't concentrating as much as you should have been on the fight? No, I, the fight is literally between two and three minutes. So uh, based over either one, two or three rounds. So within, I suppose, 20 minutes, if you're having a big fight and you're being brought down for finals, that kind of like a state finals of world championships or something like that, you'd only kind of be away from you zone out for literally 15, 20 minutes. And even though diabetes is always at the forefront of our minds and we're constantly thinking about it, when I was competing, I didn't let that come in. You'd literally be in this zone of fighting and nothing else would be in your head. So you'd be, I'd, have te- I'd have tested and made sure I was where I needed to be, kind of higher side 
I remember Ted, like uh, the last World Championship I fought, I was five years, four, four years ago. And I remember testing and I was just 8.2 before I was going in to get warmed up. So I was happy at that, knowing I was a little bit on the, on the little higher side of in range. But I knew I wasn't low enough to be going low. I, as in I wasn't going in there at fours or well, fours or fives, knowing that everything now that's going to happen and how my body's going to be processing everything or I could, I could drop. I knew I, I wouldn't be. It was something I didn't need to worry about. When you were fighting, that was a perfect moment in that day where you could put your diabetes on the, on the back burner and just focus on yeah. something else. Literally for 20, 20 minutes, 20 to 40 minutes from me, that, like so warm, I, I kind of would have been warmed up, but not kind of right gear on, ready to get on the mat, fighting's happening. So it's probably say 40 minutes before I'm going to fight, I would have tested. And I saw 8.2 and I was, I was like, okay, I'm happy with that. I know drop low in the next. I'm not going to be burning enough to drop low. And I'm, I still have 20 minutes or so before I'm going to get on the mat. And then I'll be on the mat for mm, maybe 8, 10, 12 minutes. So potentially I'll be back here in 40 minutes at my back test and see where I was. So I was happy at that. And yeah, exactly as you're saying, it's kind of eliminating that as something you have to think about when you're going to fight at the finals. I'm sure. Then you're in the zone and that's it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you you can take a break for that Mm -hmm. moment. I'm sure as we both are fully aware of, even in just kind of normal day-to-day with diabetes, the effects of stress and adrenaline, it's almost like Mm -hmm. you're eating sugar itself because it gives you such a high spike. Yeah, or the insulin isn't working. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, had a, I had a conversation, I think, a few episodes ago with a, with a footballer called Chris Bright, and he right. explained how before big games, obviously he is more nervous than he would be in training mm. or a lesser important game, and he would notice mm. that with his blood sugars, and he would kind of have mm. a different way to prepare for big games compared to the lesser important games Mm. was there ever a time where you were getting ready for that world championship fight you were checking your blood sugar you had done everything right you had done everything that you know had worked for you in the past but because Mm. of your stress or your adrenaline or that nervous feeling your blood sugars were sky high and did you think about doubling down on insulin just before a fight or did you ever have those sort of like yeah kind of clashing thoughts about keeping high or bringing yeah. it back down yeah yeah I suppose it's like it is a constant on your mind and when you check when you test and you see double figures and like that's obviously kind of rage for, for us when we see the double numbers or especially high double numbers um but I would have kind of erred on the side of caution because, again, cortisol is going and excitement and adrenaline and it, you don't know how your body's going to react, I suppose, because every day is different for us. But I would have erred on the side of caution knowing that I can treat this and treat it and be able to watch it properly and not have any other factors coming into it in 20 minutes. So say I was at that kind of 40 minutes and I looked and I saw double figures. 
uh, on the higher side, I take a kind of correction uh, on the air, an air on the side of caution, go and do my fight, and know I can then handle it in say 40 minutes, 45 minutes. But yeah, it is one of the, but then that kind of, I can't let that get into your zone as well. So it, it takes another form of thinking to kind of put diabetes to bed for 20 minutes, Would which is hard. Would been a case where the person that you were fighting knew you were diabetic and they might've thought that mm. I'm fighting Catherine, therefore she's type one diabetic. I'm already at an advantage. Was there ever anything like that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it gives, I you, know, that, gives but... you that more rage to go in there. Yeah, uh, you want to beat them even more if they were thinking like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know anyone that ever thought or even knew that. I, obviously, my teammates and my coaches would have known I was. But there's probably members on the Irish team that didn't know I was type 1. Mm. And I just wouldn't, like, the teams are so big. So you kind of just handle it yourself and your close friends and... um your coaches and then I suppose they become like your family so they all know that you you have it but you just kind of manage it yourself you you know that yourself it's very it's, it's, it's a very kind of thing you manage yourself and they know what to do if anything happens and they would have I suppose maybe they don't know but they have an idea but um no not not that I know of any opponents would have used that or thought that that was going to be an advantage <laughs> to them yeah. <laughs> not that I know of no <laughs> you, you briefly said there a while ago how you, you used to maybe go to the bathroom to check your blood sugar or take your insulin. Mm, mm. And now compared to the Catherine of today, you check where mm. you are, you take your insulin wherever you are. Was that a gradual process to kind of make that shift around your diabetic confidence? Or was there one day where it kind of clicked that you'd be like, this isn't something I should be embarrassed about? Yeah, I think um, I remember year, a few years ago um, being out with my husband for dinner and he had said, I said, I'm just going to run to the bathroom and take my, uh, take my insulin. And he said, just, just take it there. And I said, oh, God, no, I couldn't take it here. And he said, why not? Just take it there. And I think I just did it and that was it. I never went to the bathroom again for it. It was as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think it was probably that it was so accepting of Paul to know that this was going to happen and the fact that he was saying why would you go to the bathroom and hide it you are who you are type thing without actually having to say that to me and that was just this now I wouldn't ever hide it I take it if I'm in the gym and I see something and I need to, t- to take a correction or I need to take it <laughs> I just take it wherever mm. I could be out in a walk and see I'm going high and take a little correction or no one, I'm nearly, I need, I need to take insulin here, there, anywhere. I could be literally anywhere and it'll just be taken. <laughs> yeah, I don't exactly. care anymore. And I don't know if that's because I am of, an, of a time in my diabetes life where I now have it so long that if you, why would you hide it? Mm. But I think as well, when you're 19 and diagnosed, it differentiates you from your friends and you don't want to be any different from anybody else. So you probably are hiding things an awful lot more or doing that in the bathroom and mm. because you don't want anyone to see you and think, oh, what's wrong with them? Or what are they asking? Or are they taking drugs? Or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever comes into your mind. Yeah, we've, I'm sure we've both heard all the, 
all the myths and the misconceptions that surround mm-hmm. diabetes about drug use yeah. and all this kind of thing. Much like you, I'm sure you've got messages like this, but I would often get messages from people who are newly diagnosed or they might be younger. They might have been, mm-hmm. you know, babies when they got it and they're kind of growing up with it, but still don't have that sense of confidence to, as you say, inject wherever you are, I need to do it. What mm. sort of advice would you advi- would you give to people like that who are slightly self-conscious to make their diabetes public? Well, they have to do what's comfortable for them, number one. And then I suppose the more they do it, the easier it is. The more they do it in public or around maybe it, it, their, their smaller circle for their family members or their friends, they'll become more confident with it. I think it just comes with time. And if they're not comfortable with doing it in public, then don't. Just do whatever they're comfortable with to mm. start. Exactly. Well, that's the biggest part of it, really, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I <laughs> have a number of listeners, well, a, a good few listeners who have kind of got into the podcast recently, and a lot of them are newly diagnosed again, just like we've been speaking about, who... Mm-hmm are slightly concerned about how to exercise, you know, how they should treat your your diabetes, how they should treat their insulin around it. From somebody Mm -hmm. who has so much experience as you do, what sort of advice Mm -hmm. would you give somebody who wants to exercise but is newly diagnosed and doesn't necessarily know how they should manage it? Yeah, they have to keep testing. Try, Try whatever they want to do and then test and just get a system in place for themselves. It's, I suppose every, every kind of exercise is different for everybody. Um, like lifting weights for me will spike me. So I have a system in place for that. Running will drop for me. So it's just every, everyone is different and then they have to find a system that works for them. Yeah, absolutely. And but that's the way but it is. definitely not, not to stop and don't let it stop them from training or exercising or giving up on a sport that they love because of it. They just have to find a system that works for them. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those conditions that all type 1 diabetes is the same, but no type 1 diabetic is the same. It's all mm-hmm. about finding what works for you, how your body responds to certain exercise, how mm-hmm. sensitive you are to insulin, how food will impact it. Yeah. You obviously have yeah. a very active and successful career Catherine is there anything particularly <laughs> you're looking forward to in the, the near to mid future well my career uh, competing career has stopped so I don't compete anymore so I'm just looking to uh, expand on my business at the minute and help as many people feel good and feel confident I work with females so I'm looking at um, just developing that and keep going keep going as I am yeah build grow, help as many females feel good, look great and have the confidence that uh, they should have. Yeah. Absolutely. No better person to, to be learning from. Anyway. <laughs> I'll finish with one more question for you, Catherine. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to thank diabetes for something, what would that be? Oh, probably uh, making me as determined and as driven and motivated to be the best version of me as I can and probably making me be a more resilient and harder working person than 
I may have been because I won't let anything beat me. Mm. <laughs> and I suppose when you get diagnosed in the middle of kind of the transitioning into adulthood, as both we have, um, you won't let anything, well, I didn't let anything come between me developing as a, an athlete, as an adult, as a person. And I know it did, made me more determined, more driven, more resilient, more hardworking. Um, because it was always kind of there. So it's, it's another kind of thing to be on top of. Mm, I love that. And look, <laughs> I called this podcast, the Insulone Podcast, Redefining Diabetes, because I want to redefine diabetes in two ways to redefine what society in general think of diabetes. It's one of the most mm-hmm. widely known conditions, but at the same time, widely unknown. People don't read really yeah. it. And the mm-hmm. other side of that, I want to redefine it for diabetics themselves, because a lot of people believe that once you have type one diabetes or any type of diabetes, it's going to hold you back. It's going to stop you mm-hmm. from doing what you want to do. And Catherine, I have to say, Amazing. You perfectly epitomize redefining diabetes because you are someone who <laughs> um, you wave the Irish flag very proudly and you should be thank you. massively, massively proud of yourself. So thanks thank a million you. for coming on. I really appreciate no you. No worries. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. And do you want to just drop in quickly where people can find you, how they can get in touch and find out more about you? Yeah, so um, on my, my social media is on Instagram is um, at Brady Catherine X and my email is info at CatherineBrady.ie. Good stuff. Perfect. Thank you, Catherine. Really appreciate you taking Thank the time. Thank you. And I'll chat to you no soon. No worries. Thanks a million. So just a quick one before I jump off. As always, I like to drop a few words before I turn my microphone off. Hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it as much as I enjoyed hearing from Catherine and her experiences around sports specifically and also the diabetic side of things. From somebody who comes from a sporting background myself, it was very insightful and motivating at the same time to hear from somebody who is at the top of their game in terms of sport and specifically combat sport makes it slightly more difficult. So thanks a million, Catherine, for your time. Really enjoyed it. We had actually stopped recording and the two of us continued to talk for about an hour and a half afterwards, just all about diabetes, sport, business, everything. So really enjoyed that chat. Definitely check out Catherine's stuff, knows her stuff with regards to sport, health, fitness and diabetes. So definitely give her a shout online and here we go. The next winner of the hypoglycemia t-shirts for diabetes awareness month here we go who could it be there's nobody to do a drum roll for me because it's just me alone here because graham isn't here so here we go three two one congratulations and celebrations when i tell everyone that you're in love with me Congratulations. The t-shirt winner is Maria McHenry. Maria McHenry, you are the winner of the hypoglycemia t-shirt. We really appreciate you listening to the podcast. We really appreciate you sharing the podcast 
and I can't wait to send you out that hypo t-shirt. What better way to spread awareness for diabetes than wearing a melting face, low blood sugar t-shirt. So thank you again, Maria. I appreciate you sharing the podcast. For anybody who wants to win the t-shirt for the last episode, well, not the last episode, but the last t-shirt that I'll be giving away for Diabetes Awareness Month will be next week's podcast. So all you have to do to enter is screenshot yourself listening to the podcast right now, share it on Instagram or any other social media and tag me and or tag Graham. You don't have to tag Graham, only if you want to. He, As we always say, <laughs> me, me and him talk to each other all the time. And he's starting to get tagged and appreciated within the diabetic community these days. And he's loving it. And he says he's the diabetic community's adopted son. So I think we can accept him, even though he's not diabetic. Fingers crossed, he does get diabetes someday. So Graham, really hope you become diabetic at some stage in your life. It will make us much better friends. But as always... Thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you're getting some valuable information, experience, and insight from these podcasts. I really enjoy making them, and I really, really, really enjoy and appreciate your feedback on them. So as always, rate, comment, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your relatives, tell your pets. Have a fantastic week, and I will chat to you soon.